Welcome to the Being an Engineer podcast. Our guest today is Robert Futch, who is the Chief Technology Officer at Delta Development Team, where they innovate and manufacture ruggedized thermal systems specializing in military equipment. Robert is an Eagle Scout and speaks three languages, American Sign Language, English, and German. Robert, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for that intro. I'll, I'll tell you, the German was a long time ago, so uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say I speak German anymore. Uh, okay, but, that's uh, fair. That's fair. It still counts. Oh, yeah. it was. Uh, I, I had learned it at one point, but it's been a long time. Very cool. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, first question I have for you is, how long have you been an engineer, and how did you decide to become an engineer? Sure thing. Well, uh, I can I can trace that pretty far back actually um there was uh i I can remember a pretty specific moment when i was probably like six or seven uh when my mom asked me what do you want to do when you grow up and i i asked her what makes the most money (laughs) doctor lawyer right and and uh, well so her, her answers were uh architect and uh baseball player uh which was not the uh, doctor lawyer, right? Uh, so those are some interesting answers. Good answers, nonetheless. I, actually, I'm sorry to interrupt. I I recently went through this exercise with my kids where we looked at all these different professions. We brainstormed like a hundred different jobs, and then we looked up the salaries for all of them. Mm-hmm. And do you know what by far was the the biggest salary? What what was it? Entertainers. I mean, celebrity entertainers. Oh, of course, of course. Outside of like, you know, Bill Gates and that kind of thing. But yeah, celebrity entertainers, uh, which absolutely includes famous, famous athletes. So I think your mom was spot on with the baseball player. Absolutely. So I think maybe, maybe she threw an architect as, uh, uh, maybe, maybe someone who could still be creative and still be sort of a celebrity, right? Uh, but that, that stuck with me for a while. Uh, and I was, I think she could she could tell I was interested in uh, uh, you know building things and making things. Uh, I had uh, plenty of Legos to inspire me early on, right? Uh, as I'm sure many engineers have. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, my dad was also a uh, electrical engineer. He's still an electrical engineer at uh, Raytheon, so there was some of that influence too. Uh, we, uh, you know, him him and I spent a lot of time building model rockets and electronics together. So you could you could see all of this influence building up in my life towards engineering. Uh, Very cool, yeah. But but I had never really uh, like selected engineering up until uh, I got all the way through high school, all the way to college, and they're like, "All right, what major do you want?" Uh, I hadn't I hadn't thought about <laughs> you know actually selecting engineering before that. I, I, the uh, the architect and the the things that engineers do was just kind of in the back of my mind for. For all that time, and at this point, professional baseball player had been off the table. That was definitely off the table. I <laughs> I had tried baseball early on there. That wasn't that wasn't my sport. I I did do soccer. Got it. Though. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And unfortunately, soccer doesn't pay too much in the U.S. here. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're Pele and was that Brazil? <laughs> right. Thirty years ago. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but that's okay. That's how I ended up there. So I I uh, finally uh, you know I I had to make the choice there once I got to college and I. I picked uh, mechanical engineering uh, since I had picked up that interest in, uh, you know, building rockets and electronics and cars, and uh, that's that's where I got started with it. 
Okay, let's talk more about that. Uh, rockets and electronics and cars. What what were you like as a kid growing up? Were were you just always into building things and taking things apart and you know model rockets with your dad? Was was that what life was like for you? Pretty much all of your you know childhood, adolescent. That was it was definitely a, a huge part of it. There was uh, to 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 me at the time was an uh, unimaginable collection of Hot Wheels, right? <laughs> And uh, and and Legos and always always building new things, uh, and and my dad is one that introduced me to uh, model rockets. You know, we're building a new rocket every every other weekend. We'd go shoot rockets with his uh, model rocket buddies. Uh, of course, they're doing they were doing the real thing at the same time at Raytheon, right? Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> did did your dad ever take you to Raytheon and show you some of the the actual rockets that were being produced? You know, there there was one family day that I have a, a pretty faint memory of uh, back when they still allowed family days at Raytheon, right? Uh, but that uh, there, there's not a whole lot that I uh, remember from that uh, from that visit because it was a long time ago. But uh, sure, I, I think probably my the the biggest influence towards actually selecting engineering uh, once once I got to college was my my interest in uh, cars at the time. Where, where I thought, oh, if I could just get a mechanical engineering degree, then uh, McLaren would hire me or Shelby would hire me, right? <laughs> and that was that was still a pretty lofty goal at the time. Yeah. Well, hey, you're you're still early in your career. Maybe that's still in the cards, right? It could be. Um, another thing I noticed that was interesting is uh, you're an Eagle Scout, and uh, the 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 Boy Scout motto, I believe, is "Be prepared." Has that helped you in your role as an engineer? Do you think, or were they just you know very separate parts of your life? That's a good question. I I think it's it's definitely helped me to be prepared outside of engineering. Uh, some of the some of the being prepared for engineering skills, I I definitely didn't pick those up until uh, going to school for engineering. It's it's a very different kind of being prepared, right? <laughs> Yeah, for sure. So I I think in in terms of being prepared to uh uh to to enjoy a camping trip and be ready for any kind of weather, no problem. Uh you know, I'm I'm ready for anything like that. Uh I can I can plan all kinds of uh uh trips thanks to their uh you know, their their training there. But the the being prepared for engineering, that I learned in school. I had an engineering manager many years ago who used to say that in order to be a good engineer, you need to be a little paranoid. And I think that's just another way of saying you have to be really prepared, right? You have to think about all those possible eventualities and be very detail-oriented and know what to do if this happens and what to do if that happens. Um, so I, I, I saw that you were an Eagle Scout and I thought, oh, that's, that's cool. Um, I think the mindset, I, I am also a fellow Eagle Scout, although I didn't get mine until my 18th birthday. I saw you were 16, so you did a lot better than I did in, in actually being prepared to get your Eagle Scout. Oh, no, you got it right on uh, time, right? You planned it that way. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. I planned it that way. Yeah. Last possible day is when I squeaked in. Uh, but the mindset that I think is established there is is uh, uh, an important one for an engineer, probably a lot of other professions as well. Absolutely, and and I I definitely uh, am, am glad that I had that uh, experience uh, to do you know the the project planning and the uh, being a, a, a uh, you know a team leader for all the different trips we went on and and some amazing amazingly memorable trips. Uh, 
uh, like being one of the team leaders when we went to Seabase. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Seabase uh, in Florida, where they uh, they have uh, a whole bunch of what are essentially miniature pirate ships there. And they they what I am not familiar with this. No, but that sounds amazing. Oh, it miniature is miniature pirate ship. It is it is amazing. So uh, it's all wow. I'll give you the short story, but they they have uh, a bunch of miniature pirate ships, and each group of the Boy Scouts uh, is trained on how to sail the pirate ship, and then they say go, and they send you out in t- into the uh, the sea in between the uh, Cuba and and the bottom of Florida. There, no way. An amazing oh, that's trip. So cool. Yeah, that was that was tons of fun and. Uh, you know, we all we all took turns uh, leading the ship and pretending to be the pirate captain and yelling at our our uh, our, our fellow uh, our fellow Boy Scouts to you know rig the sails and things like that. I'm I'm guessing no rum was allowed though on these uh, these ships. Definitely no rum. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, well, let's jump a little bit into uh, your engineering career here. Uh, early on, you worked with some photovoltaic arrays. And that's something that I have no experience with at all. And I was curious, what what was your design experience like with, with these photovoltaics? And what were some of the unique design considerations? So we we were in a, uh, this is with Sundancer when I was working there, uh, Sundancer uh, Development. And uh, just a, a short intro about what they're, uh, what they were designing there is uh, vaccine refrigerators. So it's these uh, refrigerators that are power, powered by voltaics, uh, powered by solar panels, and you can take them out anywhere in the world, even where there's no plugs, no power, and you just set up your refrigerator in the solar panel, and uh, bam, you've got this uh, vaccine refrigerator that even if a cloud goes over and the power goes out, your vaccines stay cold. So uh, so that was uh, that was their technology there. And uh, my my involvement with that, and and probably what I learned the most about it was uh, was how how different it is to design a product that is uh, direct solar powered, right? As opposed to grid tie solar, which is what most of everybody is familiar with, especially uh, around here, right? We have a big electricity grid. Uh, people put solar panels on their house. They add it to the existing power that they have. But what if solar power was the only thing you had? Now it's a big issue in other places mm. in the world, right, where they don't have any other form of power. So if, if solar power is the only power you have, there's a lot more considerations. Do you need batteries? Do you need some other form of energy storage uh, to keep things going when the clouds go over? So that was uh, that was uh, a big learning experience to a totally different side of uh, photovoltaics from uh, from what they teach you in school, even. Yeah, we have uh, we have some solar panels on our house now, which was um, <laughs> story for another time. Not a great one, but um, uh, it, it's becoming a big deal now, right? We've got Elon Musk and his solar roof panels. Right. Do you see that just you know continuing the technology, continuing to advance as we move forward? Absolutely, and I've I've been watching all that. Uh, you know, evolve over time and seeing the different, uh, all the different solar technologies and people vying for that uh, extra uh, one and two uh, increase, one and two percent increase in efficiency in these solar panels. So it's it's interesting to see it all evolve. But it was sort of tangential to what I was doing since uh, everybody in the U.S. is trying to innovate grid tie solar, 
and at the same time we were trying to innovate this uh, this other uh, standalone direct solar is the technology fundamentally the same or or is the the standalone solar technology different than the the, the grid solar well the uh, the major difference and you'll you'll see this uh, even on your house too you've got a big giant inverter on the side of your house right yeah, yep. uh, converting the uh, uh, the direct uh, DC solar energy into AC that you can then power all your electronics with. Uh, so uh, with that, uh, in the in the direct solar application, we can eliminate that inverter if you have all DC components, right? Mm, okay. Uh, so so finding things, uh, making sure that. Our, uh, it's a refrigerator, right? So we have to have a DC compressor, not an AC compressor like people are used to. Uh, and then uh, you could use uh, batteries for uh, for when the clouds go over, right? Uh, right. But that is what we found that a lot of our, uh, or uh, the owner, uh, David, uh, what he discovered is that the the battery wasn't the solution for for this application. So so they were using thermal energy storage there. Okay, but the fundamental physics are the same between the two technologies. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, your degree is in mechanical engineering, but it looks like you do quite a bit of programming. How did you pick up the programming, and uh, how has it shaped your role as an engineer so far? It's it shaped it quite a lot. I can I can tell you that. Uh, I think I I had started uh, even in in high school. My uh, my brother and I were making video games, uh, just uh, as a, as sort of a, a side gig. We even released uh, one video game on the uh, Android store and the the Apple App Store, and uh, and that's where I sort of got uh, really into uh, programming for the first time there. And then uh, when I when I started working at uh, Sundancer. Then uh, both uh, Bill and and David, when I was working for them there, they they said, "Oh wow, you're a mechanical engineer and you can program. Why don't you just uh, take over all of our uh, programming department? Because it was it was a pretty small business and it was just the owner that was doing the programming in his spare time, right? Oh, okay. Uh, and he and he had a, a contractor doing it. And so so this was their first experience uh, having somebody that could do software full time for them. Uh, and on a small budget, I guess the uh, uh, the way to do that was with a mechanical engineer who knew some programming, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, how was that for you? I mean, were you bummed because you were doing more programming and less mechanical engineering, or was that a great opportunity? I, I think it was a fantastic opportunity. Uh, it's, you know, I think it's a little bit different for uh, for a mechanical engineer that knows programming, where I'm I'm not just uh, uh, I'm not trying to take somebody's requirements that they've written and uh, put it into code, so I'm not translating anything. Uh, what we were doing there was developing new technology all the time, so uh, I, I guess I was I was able to immediately take the uh, mechanical engineering, the thermodynamics that I was doing to develop the product, and then just write it myself uh, into the code. Mm, that's so efficient. It, it was it was very efficient. So we were able to you know quickly change things and uh, and I was able to identify uh, things in the code that would have to uh, change the the way that we uh, you know the the way that we had planned for the thermodynamics of these refrigerators to work. 
Uh, so it was it was a real I think it was a real efficient way to do things. And and I think you see that more often these days, right? Where you see electrical engineers, they know programming. More mechanical engineers know programming. The U of A requires the mechanical engineers take a programming class now. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I didn't know that, no. But it makes total sense. I mean, this is a small example. Um, uh, like any company these days, we have a website and we have a, a web design company that we work with. But I know enough uh, WordPress. It's not even programming. Mm. But I know how to get into WordPress and just, you know, create a new page and put some different pictures in there and throw up a video. And if I didn't know how to do that... It would be so inefficient for me every time I wanted to make a small change to the website to go to the website company, the web developers, and try to communicate, you know, I want this change and I want that change. In fact, when we first developed the website, that's what it was. And it was so painful trying to communicate all of that uh, to them as opposed to just doing it myself. Of course, running a business, you have to delegate and balance what you do and what other people do. Um, but it's it's to be able to have... Several fundamental skills is such a huge benefit, I think, not just to engineers, but to any professional these days, but especially engineers. I mean, you're, you're just a perfect case in point, I think. I, I think I've been real lucky to have the, the experience that I did so far. Uh, you know, going to school as a mechanical engineer, but then learning from uh, some of the, the best uh, direct solar experts in the world and also being able to learn all this programming uh, for developing these machines. It's, it's been a fantastic experience so far. I myself am not a programmer, uh, but we have programmers uh, here at Pipeline. Um, so I, I want to dig into this just a, a little bit more. Uh, you program in C and LabVIEW and Visual Basic and, and maybe some others. How do you decide what, what platform, what language to use You know, based on the, the activities that you're, uh, you're coding for? There's some hardware driving what language we choose usually right uh, like with uh, uh, working at Sundancer we're using pick basic chips so we're programming actually in basic there uh, which was uh, another experience and then uh, then we, we eventually upgraded and in, in where I'm working now at, at Delta uh, Delta development we're we're programming in C because that's what the uh, the chips use. Uh, so there's there's some hardware requirements driving the driving the language. Got it. Okay, we uh, we use LabVIEW a lot, and sometimes people are surprised to hear that we use LabVIEW because we do a lot of automation. Typically, people are are, are expecting to hear you know Alan Bradley or Siemens or something like that mm -hmm. when it comes to automation, but we found LabVIEW actually to work really well. Um, especially since a lot of what we do is, is kind of for the R&D environment anyway. Um, do you do a lot of stuff in LabVIEW or do you ever get into some of the more industrial automation programs like uh, uh, Alan Bradley or Siemens? Yeah, I, I do actually have a, a little bit of experience with ladder logic and I, I can't say it was uh, uh, a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, but but LabVIEW is is certainly tuned towards the the application where I've needed it so far in small business, and I'm, I'm sure uh, you probably had a, a similar experience where you need something versatile, something efficient for quick development, for automation, uh, something that the engineers can uh, can program themselves. And LabVIEW is yeah. probably one of the best examples of that, right? 
Exactly. Yep. Yeah. We found the same thing. Okay. Well, uh, let's take a really quick short break here. And I just want to share with our, our listeners that the Being an Engineer podcast is powered by our parent company, Pipeline Design and Engineering, where we work with engineering teams who need turnkey custom test fixtures, jigs, or automated equipment to assemble, inspect, characterize, or perform verification or validation testing on their devices. And you can find us at testfixturedesign.com. All right, so jumping back into some of these questions, Robert, I, I see that you graduated with your bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering, and it uh, looks like you've gone back to school to get a master's. Can you tell me a little bit about that? What what prompted you to go back to school? I, I did just start, uh, I, I actually just finished my first year uh, going back for a master's in systems engineering. Uh, and uh, it's been a fantastic first two semesters, I have to say. Uh, this this sort of ties into what we were talking about earlier with the 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 widening breadth of experience that engineers are expected to have these days, right? Where they're they're looking for mechanical engineers to know electrical and and software. Uh, well, they're they're also looking for mechanical engineers to know uh, project management, right? And uh, systems uh, the the whole systems engineering side of it, and and uh, taking taking these first two semesters has really opened my eyes to that. Very cool. That that must be um, a little stressful and very busy being a CTO at uh, a company that has quite a bit going on and going to school at the same time. How how do you manage that? I think it's it's actually necessary. Uh, what what I what I found was we're uh, when we, when we started this company in 2018, uh, you know, it was it was just uh, four of us, uh, me as the me- mechanical engineer, and uh, Bill uh, was also a very uh, very experienced engineer, decades of experience in uh, uh, refrigeration, and uh, also we had uh, Chris and uh, Monty, who are uh, uh, subject matter experts for the uh, their uh, their medical expertise. From uh, from working, uh, they were both in the army, from serving in the army. And so there were there were the four of us trying to start this medical device company, and and I think I realized pretty early on that we were missing a systems engineering component, right? And and that I think stresses me out much more, <laughs> you know, missing <laughs> missing that systems engineering component uh, than uh, than having to go to school and run the business at the same time. At least, you know, now now that I'm uh, learning all of this uh, through uh, through the masters of science of engineering uh, for masters of systems engineering program, uh, I feel much more comfortable uh, knowing uh, just uh, knowing what I need to learn. Right, or knowing what uh, what our business is missing in terms of systems engineering, uh, so that we can work towards improving that part of the business. And that goes back to the whole efficiency thing, right? Uh, especially as as kind of a, a smaller, newer business, um, the fact that you can have all of these different expertise under your belt and do all these different things makes you and thus the the company you're working for or you're, the, that you're running. Um, really a powerhouse it it absolutely does and uh there was a fantastic uh chart 
that my my very first class, the you know introduction to systems engineering, uh, that I, I really wish I had seen this earlier on. Uh, the the professor showed a chart of how much systems engineers are expected to know in each of the different engineering categories, and they're expected to know everything about systems engineering, right? And then they're also sure. expected to know a little bit about every single other discipline of mechanical, electrical, uh, and industrial, and all you know, software, all the other disciplines. Uh, and that's I think that was a really powerful way to describe how important uh, knowing systems engineering is for any kind of engineer that wants to be a leader. That's a really good point. I, I don't think I've heard a systems engineer described in, in quite those terms. It makes me think of uh, kind of uh, like the, the, the radiologist of the engineering world having to know uh, a little bit or even a lot about a lot of the different branches of engineering. Very interesting. Absolutely. Huh? Yeah. Um, let's see. You worked at a company called Vantana for a little while. And uh, while you were there, I'm sure you did a variety of different things. One of the things you did was work on a, a tissue staining project, an automated, I guess, robotics project. And you worked uh, uh, in combination with a, a group of scientists. Is that right? That's right. Uh, that was a wildly different experience from my previous job, right? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, in particular, I'm really interested to hear what it was like working with a group of scientists and, and how that differed from working just with a group of engineers. I, absolutely. You know, uh, working at Sundancer, there were, uh, at, at most, I think there was probably 50 of us, you know, including all the, uh, the production team and all the management, everybody. Uh, but at Ventana, there's thousands of people that work there. Right, and if you include their parent company Roche, it's a global hundreds of thousands of people. It's a huge, huge company. Uh, so it was a total shift from one end of the spectrum of working in a small company to working in one of the biggest companies in the world. <laughs> I bet, I bet, yeah. Right, so the uh, the team that I was working with there was developing uh, one of a a brand new uh, tissue staining robot. You know, they have their uh, their standard uh, tissue staining robots that they've been developing over the past. Uh, many years now, where essentially what it does is you uh, you get some sample of uh, something that you that the doctor thinks might be cancerous, and you put the sample uh, in the robot, and then the robot the robot tells you whether it's cancer or not. Uh, so they were they were having us develop a, a brand new machine that'll be faster, uh, could process uh, more samples uh, at one time, and uh, and that's the the team that I was working with there. And, and the team for just that one development project was 50 people, whereas, you know, the previous wow. company was uh, was 50 people total. Okay, so this is an environment in which you might not have individuals that have multiple areas of expertise. Maybe you just have people who are specifically devoted to, to one uh, really... Um, narrow subject is, is was that how it was, or or were there people who were you know kind of subject matter experts across a wider variety of topics? There there were definitely uh, subject matter experts there, and uh, I, I I got this uh, again when uh, I was working in the lab, and uh, I was I was expecting uh, uh, or I was expecting that I would just be allowed to you know change the change the code myself since I knew enough code to uh, to work on the robot and then the software engineers are like uh, 
all right, well, tell me what you want me to write. And like, oh, I could just do it myself. <laughs> and they're like, wait, but you're a mechanical engineer. How do you know software? <laughs> right. That's not supposed to be how the world works. Exactly. And and so a lot of them were surprised by that. But they were also relieved, right? They're like, oh, finally, somebody that understands software in the mechanical engineering department, they're not going to make up some crazy requirements that I won't be able to meet. Interesting. Okay. So they welcomed it. I, I think I think they absolutely did. You know, it's not... Uh, I'm not trying to take over their job, definitely, but the, the increased uh, communication was was certainly uh, a boon to them I, I could i could tell it's it's similar to the relationship like uh the the really common one that people complain about uh is oh the the engineers don't know anything about how to use a cnc machine so they're going to design something that won't uh that that the uh, the guys on the production line won't won't be able to make right but uh right, that's, yeah. that's becoming less of a problem now that uh, the the schools are teaching the engineers design for manufacturing and how to use the CNC machines, uh, and then even on the other side too, they're teaching the technicians a little bit of engineering so that we can all meet in the middle with this wider breadth of in- information. Yeah, it's things are changing, I guess. I mean, for a long time, uh, everyone wanted to specialize in just one thing, but it seems like these days that is no longer the case, and more and more individuals are having to take on you know multiple areas of of, uh, of skills. Huh? Absolutely. All right. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, Delta development team. So you, you folks design thermal systems there, and is is it fair to say that? Um, because of the nature of how these thermal systems are used, that, that lives can depend on the reliability of the system? Absolutely. I'll, uh, I'll give you my, my little uh, Delta development description here. Uh, we're, we're working on two products right now. Uh, it's a blood transport system that will go further and survive in more environments than anything else that's out there right now. So uh, uh, a portable refrigerator that can deliver blood anywhere in the world, right? And uh, and the other one is a uh, blood and plasma warming and thawing device. So once the cold uh, cold blood gets to the location where they need it, they have to take it out of the refrigerator and warm it up before they put it into the body of somebody that needs it, right? So it's these right, okay. uh, these these two products is um, are, are are the foundation of what Delta is working on right now. Uh, the ability to deliver cold blood and warm it up to anybody that needs it in the whole world. Does that put any pressure on you? I mean, the fact that uh, what you're developing has to be so reliable because it, it it could save a person's life someday. What what are your thoughts on that? It's it it does uh, it does make me think a little bit more carefully about making sure that we're following uh, best practice, right? And and it's part of the motivation for. Uh, going back to school for systems engineering too is uh, what I what I started learning in uh, in 2018 before uh, before I started going back to school. But when we were starting the company, is I found hey all of this uh, regulation this looks familiar. This looks like what their uh, uh, what the course list is for system engineering, right? The uh, okay. the regulation for you know ISO. Uh, 1345, the medical device regulation, mm-hmm. uh, all of that uh, can be, uh, you know, you don't have to just read the standard to uh, to figure out how that works. A, a system engineer would know ahead of time 
without having to read the standard, the the best practice. What's what's been maybe one of the most exciting or memorable projects that you have worked on to date? Not even necessarily at Delta, but it could be just in general. One of the most exciting or memorable projects you've worked on to date? You know, of the uh, the the few projects that I've worked on so far. You know, I've I've, I've only uh, only worked for these three companies so far. I'm only 28. I, I'm thinking I'm I'm most excited about what we're working on right now at Delta because uh, it is it is related to that being able to uh, save lives. Uh, we're we're really trying to change how uh, how lives are saved right now. Where uh, currently, you know, when when somebody gets injured and they and they need blood, they uh, the hospital sends out the ambulance and then the ambulance tries to keep you alive on the way back to the hospital, right? But this this is really game-changing technology that we're working on right now, where instead of trying to keep you alive on the way to the hospital, they could just bring the hospital to you, essentially, is what this uh, blood transport kit is. So there's no product right now that will take the blood to the patient out in the field. So what you're working on at Delta isn't like, you know, an iterative improvement of something that's already out there. This is kind of a revolutionary new piece of uh, tech or, or hardware. Is that accurate? It it really is. There's, um, you know, there, there are some similar products out there that have attempted this before, but nobody's really, uh, nobody's gone all the way and sort of a, uh, a striking example of this is that uh, there exist, you know, portable uh, refrigerated coolers. You can buy one for fifty dollars on Amazon right now and put it in your car. Of course, it's not medical grade, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But but that's what these hospitals are dealing with. Uh, I saw a report from the uh, American Association of Blood Banks (AABB), and and they have pictures in there of hospitals transporting blood around in Coleman camping coolers. Right. Wow. There and it was just extremely surprising that they're still using camping coolers to transport, uh, you know, life-saving blood uh, organs. They're still right. moving hearts, livers in organs with ice from the refrigerator. <laughs> right. I, I can pretty much guarantee you that the assembly line worker in China did not intend for it to be used for that purpose. Absolutely. <laughs> and there's there's no accountability there, and they. Uh, you know, they even describe in the report uh, that the, you know, these hospitals don't have any other choice. There's no technology out there to solve this problem. And and even the, the similar products that are out there, you know, this $50 cooler from uh, from Amazon that you can plug in your car, you know, it's, it's not, uh, that's not the intended use. Uh, it, it doesn't meet the, it doesn't meet the need for a medical grade products, uh, for a medical grade product that these, uh, these hospitals need. Yeah. Well, that's sobering. Good luck with uh, all of that development. Very exciting. Thank you. Um, how about any personal projects? Any any personal engineering-ish projects you're working on? Uh, a large model rocket, perhaps? <laughs> uh, you know, it's... Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure my, my life is uh, consumed right now by... Uh, you know, you're right. Going going to school to do system engineering and uh, and and also uh, also you know starting up this business since uh, since 2018. Uh, I I have had the the time to do some some fun little uh, side projects here and there. My brother uh, and I are still trying to make video games in our spare time. 
Oh, good for you. <laughs> yep. Yep. So so we're uh, we're we're still doing that uh, when we have the time. Fantastic. Something to um I guess distract your mind from the the very serious nature of the the rest of your work, I guess, right? It is. It's it's serious, but it's still exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Um how, how about vehicles? I mean, you mentioned that uh, you were into vehicles at a young age. Are you doing anything these days with uh uh cars or anything like that oh sure i i can't believe i forgot about that one but that's uh that's always a constant project right uh i've i've got a, a car that i like to take to the uh, uh the racetrack here in town all the time so there's always something to do oh, with that nice you know there's there's always what kind of car is it uh oh it's uh a, a 135 uh bmw so it's just it's the the smallest bmw but it's also the most fun one right <laughs> mm. and by most fun you mean uh, by by most fun, I mean it's uh, it sort of acts like uh, a go kart on the racetrack. You know, uh, it's, oh, that's fun. it's got a yeah. it's got a very short wheelbase, so uh, so when you're on on the racetrack, you can really whip it around the corners. Uh, but, but there's there's always something fun to to do with that, like uh, you know, making uh, making carbon fiber parts for it, or uh, trying to fashion or 3D print some kind of duct. And thankfully, I I have the the skills from uh, engineering and just from my other hobbies to be able to put that all together and uh, and have some fun with it. You you are the quintessential engineer, Robert. You're into all this stuff, Legos and robotics and programming and cars and mechanical design. Uh, as a business owner, you are the kind of engineer that I would want to hire. Where where do I go to find someone like you? Well, I'm I'm really. Is there like do you meet somewhere? Is there a Starbucks that you guys hang out at? Where, where do I find? You? Where do I find you guys? I'm I'm really flattered. Uh, uh, I think it's it might be part of our our nature as engineers that uh, you know all all the people that 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 are like this we don't uh, we don't frequently gather in one place, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm the same way. I, I love sitting in a quiet room by myself. There's almost no place I'd rather be for a lot of the time. <laughs> you know, it's it's that or or the uh, the quiet room by myself for me is uh, on the racetrack. It is uh, just me in in the uh, you know the room by myself inside the car. Uh, but yeah. that's that's one of the uh, one of my favorite places to be. I love it. I love it. Okay. Well, uh, what, one more question here before I let you go. What is, uh, what are one or, one or two of the biggest challenges that you have at work these days? Biggest challenges? I'd, I'd say, uh, we're, we're all learning, uh, a whole lot right now, uh, in, uh, how to run a business, I think. Uh, and and how to develop medical devices is is really what we're doing. Uh, developing medical devices, running a medical device business, uh, it's it's a lot different from uh, from other types of engineering that are probably less regulated. Uh, yeah. If you were to if you were to pick the you know the top two uh, most regulated engineering business, uh, uh, which would you pick? Oh, I'd probably say medical and aerospace. Absolutely, you know, and maybe maybe I'd throw in uh, uh, any any type of thing that has to do with ITAR too, like weapons or missiles, right? Yeah, sure. Defense. Oh yeah, defense, all those type of things. So yeah, so definitely, it's it's one of the most heavily regulated industries, but uh, we're we're trying to use that to our advantage right now, where we're taking on this uh, this big challenge. Uh, 
as as a way to set us apart from the competition, to set us apart from the, uh, you know, the the Coleman coolers that have their place, right? <laughs> but uh, sure. But I, I don't think, out in the woods. Right, right. But the, the <laughs> I don't want the hospitals to have to rely on Coleman to please guys. Can you make us some type of medical grade cooler? Uh, what what I think they really deserve is uh, this dedicated medical grade technology. Yeah, that's terrific. Robert, how can people get a hold of you if uh, they want to learn more about Delta or they have questions for you? What's the best way? Well, you can go to our uh, website, uh, deltadevteam.com. That's deltadevteam.com. And there's a contact form on there, or uh, you can email info at deltadevteam.com. Excellent. Robert, is there anything else that you'd like to share before we end? I, I just uh, really appreciate the time, and uh, uh, thanks for letting me join you today. Absolutely. I really appreciate your time, time as well, Robert. It's been wonderful getting to know you, hearing about your background, and best of luck with uh, Delta Dev Team. That's phenomenal work you guys are doing there. Thank you very much. I'm Aaron Moncur, founder of Pipeline Design and Engineering. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a positive review. It really helps other people find the show. To learn how your engineering team can leverage our team's expertise in developing turnkey custom test fixtures, automated equipment, and product design, visit us at testfixturedesign.com. Thanks for listening.